This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. series called Vital Signs, which is taking the temperature, the heartbeat, uh, the, uh, the blood pressure of the church. We've looked at uh, the most important vital sign is, do you know Jesus? And then we looked at community, the importance of being friends. We say it's not really church if you're not really friends, that we need to connect, connect in community because God is a loving community, Father, Son, and Spirit. And then uh, last uh, time I was up um, doing this series, we talked about discipleship, the importance of carrying each other's mats, of being mask off and vulnerable and sharing life together and finding those relationships that bring us to Jesus. So, yeah, if you've missed the last six weeks, hey, you've got it all now. Okay, so I want to really ask you, I guess, I want to talk this uh, morning about I'm not ashamed of the gospel. This was not my sermon uh, at 12 midnight last night. Uh, I was trying to pull a sermon out of the woman at the well, and it was not happening, and my wife very poignantly said to me, Howard, it's just not in you, and so she said, why don't you preach something that's in you, so there I did, so two hours later, and uh, early morning, here we go, so be full of grace for me this morning, uh, if I'm looking older than usual, but I really do feel that actually I wanted to follow what God was saying, and I wanted to follow the promptings of God, so so it's not, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I, I don't know if you've ever been to those things, where uh, those parties uh, where they say, what's your most embarrassing moment? They often do it on these kind of team-building exercises uh, and whatever. Uh, I think my, one of my most embarrassing moments was when I was uh, in primary school. I was in year six at primary school, and I hadn't done the washing up. And my mum says, if you go to school without doing the washing up, I will come and get you. And you think, yeah, that's never going to happen, is it? And so what happens is I'm in my class, year six class, uh, my, uh, the head teacher comes to the door and says, Howard, you need to go home. You haven't done the washing up and your mum's come for you. <laughs> but that was very embarrassing. I could tell you, if you're in my three, I could tell you more embarrassing moments, but no, you, you must use that against me. But I don't, we've all got those ways of making sure, of managing that we don't feel uh, ashamed or foolish, that we don't feel in a bad light. I mean, in fact, I think uh, most of our time, lots of our energy is spent on making sure that people don't see us in a bad light, that we're trying to create this nice image of ourselves. And we're very, very worried if, if we look foolish. Um, and we often blame other people or whatever. And we've learned as you get older, you learn how to avoid those, those moments, those embarrassing moments. But Paul actually talks about being ashamed or embarrassed. The passage is just a short one this morning, Romans uh, chapter 1 and verse 14. Paul has been saying that I've been really eager to come with, to, to speak to you, the Romans, about Jesus, about the gospel, about the good news of Jesus. And this is what he says in verse 14. It says, I'm under an obligation. Some translations say I've, I'm under a debt or I'm bound so he's got this obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, uh, non-Greeks, non-Jews. I don't think it means 
Conan the Barbarian. Uh, but barbarians, uh, people who are not Greeks in that sense, both to the wise and the foolish, so that would include us. Uh, so I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. And then he says this brilliant phrase, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then also to the Greek. For in the gospel, the righteousness, the goodness of God is revealed from faith to faith or from first to last. As it's written, the righteous shall live by faith. Father, we just pray as we look at these words, these challenging words of Paul. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Lord, where we're so easily ashamed. So easily as we say, oh, I'm a Christian. Or when we live the Christian life, so easily the world will want to tell us there's loads of reasons to be ashamed of that. But I pray by your spirit we'd have that same strength, the fortification in us that we would boldly be able to say, no, I'm not ashamed of this great truth of Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, perfect life, crucified, risen, ascended, ruling in heaven. Lord, we say we're not ashamed of that truth. Lord, I pray as we're unashamed here in worship, I pray that we'd live unashamed in the world. Amen. Phil Moore, who leads a church that's part of the network that we're part of in London, wrote this in his blog uh, a couple of years ago. It says, on Monday, the 1st of July, an American street preacher was arrested outside Centre Court Shopping Centre in Wimbledon. Uh, He says that's about 200 yards away from the church which I lead in southwest London. The preacher decided to preach from 1 Thessalonians 4. He explained Paul's teaching, this is on the street, about sexual immorality and challenged passers-by with their attitudes. Now, Phil says, I don't particularly warm to his style of preaching. I wouldn't necessarily go on the street and tell the people of Cheltenham that they're sinning in their sexual areas. But he chose to do that. He says, but certainly I cannot fault his content. He basically said the kind of things which the Apostle Paul said. Several passers-by voiced their support. But many others were abusive. I can't tell you what they said because obviously it's a church and we're all nice people in here. But he said, were abusive, just like the crowds which Paul encountered in the streets of Greece and Asia Minor. He says, eventually the police, police arrived. But this was when the things took a bizarre turn. Instead of cautioning the people who were verbally abusing the preacher, they arrested the preacher under Section 5 of the Public Order Act for causing an offence by his preaching, telling him he could not lawfully say, sorry, homosexuality is a sin. It's not, this term is not about homosexuality, but that's just what he was saying on the street. When he pointed out graciously that this was a strange way to treat someone for just simply reading that fact out of the Bible, he's told by the police officer to count himself lucky because Christians were thrown to the lions in ancient Rome. Phil continues, I felt I had no choice but to make a formal complaint to the London Metropolitan Police. Whilst I await their response, I've been reading 1 Thessalonians a bit myself. I'm encouraged that Paul tells the Thessalonians, we loved you so much we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. We'd previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. 
He says, I'm encouraged that in this context of abuse, arrest and persecution, that the Thessalonian church grew and planted churches across the Roman Empire. Paul tells the persecuted believers that the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Then he finishes his little blog post with, something has changed. The conditions in Britain are now different. They are less like the comfortable, compromised early 20th century that sadly saw massive church decline. They're becoming a bit more like the days of the church in Thessalonica when it flourished, even though it was hated. That's the world we're in, guys, isn't it? That I'm not suggesting that it would be a good idea to go on the streets, as I said, and preach that topic. But actually, the fact is that people are arrested for, for reading what it says in the Bible actually puts our country in an interesting place. Now, I think there's ways to talk about Jesus and there's ways to approach that, but I thought the fact is that if you talk about what the Bible says, you're in danger. You're in danger of citing religious hatred. You're in danger of being abused. And so, but Paul says, in a similar context to ours, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Paul's not saying, the way I become not ashamed of the gospel is I don't mention it. I'm a little embarrassed, so I don't mention it, and therefore I'm not ashamed. He's not saying I've learned learned to live the Christian life so that people don't know I'm a Christian, so I'm avoid being embarrassed. Or I've found a subtle way of presenting the good news of Jesus so people like me. All of those things would be good. I'd love to tell people about Jesus and have them like me. But often when you tell people about Jesus, they don't like you. And so what happens is I find ways to avoid being ashamed by the gospel. I just don't tell anyone. And we're probably the same. And we find that we are unashamed. But Paul is saying, believing and preaching the good news of Jesus has constantly put him in a bad light. But yet he says, nevertheless, I'm going to be proud that I'm in that bad light. I'm not going to be ashamed. And that's basically where we're going this morning. And I know that if you're a Christian, and it's funny, I don't want to embarrass my son, but when he did his uh, baptism testimony, I thought he did great, by the way, but when he did his testimony last week, he's sort of saying a bit of truth about Jesus, and he said... Oh, it, felt, it feels like a bit of a cliché. Now, I don't feel he feels it's a bit of a cliché. But what happens is, if you are a, a post-sixth former, he's taken a gap year, so he's a, he would be basically a first-year university-age student. If you're that age, then the reality is that you can feel all the time, if you say anything about Jesus, you're likely to feel pushback. And you get that at any age. And so he's lived with that world so much, he's almost on the defensive before, before he said anything. And I really felt for him on that. Now, it's not that he's only like that, because I'm like that, but I'm just not as obvious. And so what I want to do gives you four reasons why we might be ashamed, we're tempted to be ashamed of the gospel, three reasons why we shouldn't be, okay? So four reasons why we might be tempted to be ashamed of the gospel. So, button down. First one is the culture believes the gospel is foolish. Paul says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, Jews look for signs, uh, Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to everybody else. What he's saying is when you talk about Jesus, when you talk about this message of this uh, God who comes to earth and dies on a cross for sin, everyone's like, what? I don't don't know if I believe in God. Crucifixion, that sounds really barbaric. And dying for sins, really? It seems a foolish, foolish 
message. And so it's interesting, when Paul's in Athens, which is kind of the great seat of learning in his time in Acts 17, he starts off by quoting their poets and philosophers, and they all say, Oh, Paul, we'd love to hear you some more about this. And then he says, this man Jesus is crucified and risen from the dead. And they said, he's just a babbling fool. So it's interesting that we, there are certain messages in our society that is supposed to be open and tolerant to everything that are very acceptable. And there are certain messages that are outside of that. And Christianity now finds itself outside that set, outside that bounded set. Because actually people say, yes, we believe in tolerance, but we're tolerant about some things and not about others. Thank you, the older people over there nodding, because we know what it was like when we were more tolerant. Okay, so, so the, the, there's a temptation to feel ashamed. There's a temptation to uh, think it's foolishness. I went to university here in Cheltenham, and I did geography and geology. I don't think they do geology now because the department was so bad, but that says everything about my degree. But I remember that one of the lecturers, there's probably about 50 of us in this lecture, and he's talking about uh, the, the age of the earth. Uh, and the fact about the, uh, the fact that the earth is thousands and thousands of years and life has evolved, that, that whole thing. I mean, you know, you can read the, go to the big objections and listen to what we think about that on the website. But I, uh, as a 20-year-old guy, stood up in the lecture. I thought, I'm not going to let him get away with this. I stood up in the lecture and I said, excuse me, I forget the guy's name. I said, I feel that what you're presenting is as much a matter of faith in that believing that God created the universe. Now, I don't know why I did that. I was probably foolish, but I was unashamed. He said this, his response to me was very belittling. He says, Howard, when you have a PhD, clearly he had a PhD, when you have a PhD, I might be prepared to answer you. But as that will never happen, because you'll struggle only to get a degree, you have nothing more to contribute, and I'd like you to leave. So I thought, fine. I'm going to leave. So I got up, walked down the front, and went out. It, was n- it did not go well for me. It did not go well for me, my tutor. It did not go well for me. And I said, so if I'd have asked another question, would that have been okay? And they said, you're just being obnoxious and bloody-minded. And I said, hello, it's me. <laughs> but it's not easy, is it, to do that? And it wasn't just because I'm a difficult person, or I'm from Yorkshire... You know, that I say things like that. But it's, I thought, well, why can't we? But yet there was this pushback. You idiot. How can you believe that? And actually, that, that, that was the challenge in my day, that, that people said it's not true, it's just foolishness. So that's the first challenge. But actually, culture's changed. So the second reason we might be tempted to be ashamed of the gospel is that you're now accused of bigoted arrogance. I think this is even harder. So students today are criticised for claiming that there is any truth. So if you say there's a thing called absolute truth and Jesus is that absolute truth, as as Vicky prayed, he's the way, the way, the truth, definite article, and the life, that is seen as a very narrow and bigoted statement. How can you do that? You're not criticised for saying something that's wrong, but you're criticised for your arrogance and saying other people are wrong. You're not criticised for bad thinking, but for bad attitude. The greatest weapon of shame we experience today is we're accused of being intolerant and mean-spirited and egotistical and whatever that goes with that. So I've been called a narrow-minded bigot when I've been trying to very carefully talk about Jesus 
Not standing in the street and saying everybody's going to go to hell. Nowhere near that. Just making the comments that Jesus would make and being called a narrow-minded bigot. How dare you say that Jesus is the only way? How dare you say that Muslims are Buddhists and misguided? How dare you say that marriage is between a man and a woman? How dare you say that abortion is wrong? How dare you? You bigot. Third reason why we might be tempted to be ashamed of the gospel is that it's inherently confrontational to our culture. Now, that doesn't mean that we're trying to be mean and nasty and horrible and have everybody think, well, what, why, why do I, I don't like this person. But the, the bottom line is that, 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 that if you're going to share good news, it's got to be good news in response to the current situation of people's lives, which actually is bad news. So if you're going to say that Jesus has come to save the world... That might seem very nice. But if you said Jesus has come to save you and me from ourselves, from sin, from rebellion, from those words, that, that's suddenly a confrontational message. Is that what I'm saying? So, yes, Jesus is loving and caring and he's the Father. We love all that. But actually, if we say that we're rebellious and we're uh, uh, committed to suicide by saying, God, we're done, and there's a place called and all of that horrible stuff, which I don't like to preach a lot of here, because I'm ashamed of it. You know, but, but that stuff, then suddenly you get this bang, you get this clash of culture. Now I think we need to understand that there's loads of other ways to, to come into the gospel. Maybe this was another sermon. Well, it was another sermon, but it's found its way in this one because I'm preparing two sermons. But here's this. So, for example, you wouldn't start by saying on the street, let's find a really provocative comment, uh, all Muslims are going to go to hell. It is a provocative comment, and I feel it great against that. I wouldn't start there, or, or anything close to that, but you might start with people and say, but actually, if you've got a sense, you start where people feel, you've got a sense of emptiness, Jesus gives you meaning and purpose. You've got a sense of being alone, Jesus puts you in community. Sense of powerlessness, Jesus gives you power to change. You're insecure and unloved, Jesus has loved you faithfully. You're insignificant, God is, loves you, the creator of the universe loves you and cares for you. You've got hidden shame. Jesus offers forgiveness. You're under pressure to perform. Jesus' grace is unconditional. You're worried about society and broken environment. God is going to make everything new. They work in our society, don't they? But sooner or later, you've got to get under that. Why are people empty? Why are people lonely? Why are people broken, insecure, insignificant? Why have we got guilt and shame? Why do we feel so much pressure to perform? And it's that nasty little word, isn't it? Sin. Tim Keller, always good to quote him here. Feel his way of his intellect behind me. He says this. Without the knowledge of our extreme... Oh, extreme, Tim, please, you're in New York. You know, let's be PC. You're in New York. Without the knowledge of our extreme sin, the death, the Jesus' death on the cross in our place seems trivial and does not electrify or transform. Why would... What's what's somebody dying on a cross to do with anything? Unless... He's dying, carrying our sin. But sorry, but I mustn't preach his quote. Sorry. Um, but without the knowledge of Christ's complete, transforming life, death and resurrection, the knowledge of sin would crush us. That's what we used to perhaps do in the past. But now it moves us to deny and repress all knowledge of it. I remember a lady on Alpha say, I don't do sin. We don't do sin. What are you talking about? Sin? I don't understand that category. It says, carrying on, he says, take away 
either the knowledge of sin or the knowledge of God's grace and people's lives are not changed. They will be crushed by the moral law or run from it angrily. In other words, that, that you've got to understand the bad news to understand the good news. You've got to understand the, the offensive, confrontational nature to understand the brilliant, wonderful, gorgeous, beautiful nature of Jesus. So, so actually, it creates, when you talk about Jesus, it creates the double response. This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2. He says, through us, that would be the church in Corinth, uh, through us, God, he's been talking about God previously, through us, God spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. For we are the fragrance or the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved. And to those who are perishing, we are the smell of death. Uh, to one we are the smell of death, to other the fragrance of life. And he says, who is equal to that task? In other words, what we're saying is that, that this gospel is going to make people dislike you, make people hate you, make people not want you to talk about it, but also that this gospel is going to see lives change and going to be amazing. He says, who is equal to that task? And then I found this quote. So the gospel draws ridicule, sarcasm, mocking, and the temptation is to, to just soften it. And I, I, I feel that pressure. Preaching every week, I feel that pressure. I'm not here to scare everybody off. Paul Gilbert, who's a pastor in a church in uh, Florida, says this. Out of a wonderful thing, winning people for Jesus, churches and pastors compromise true things, Bible doctrine, in order to accommodate the hard things, an oppositional culture, and thus end up with the worst thing, an opposite church. It's a bit of a difficult quote, but what it's saying is they were so keen to see people become Christians that actually we, we change and water down the truth and the gospel so actually in the end we end, up, we end up not really saying anything true at all. And actually the, the society will constantly say the church needs to keep up with culture. Come on guys, keep up. Culture's moving very fast, keep up. But actually we're holding on to an old message, aren't we? We want to speak it in a way that's culturally relevant, but actually we don't want to become so culturally relevant that, that, that this message of Christ and him crucified becomes like, well, what's that all about? And we need to do that. We need to hold on to that. I, I heard a slight breath of an amen there, man. Paul says this in Galatians, banging on the same things. I'm astonished that you are turning to a different gospel. In this case, it's about working hard to become a Christian. He says, I'm turning from a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. As we've already said, and I say again, if anybody's preaching to you a gospel other than which you accepted, let him be under God's condemnation. Am I trying to win the approval of human beings or God? Am I trying to please people? If I tried to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Sometimes you've got a choice. Sometimes you can please God and people. You know, when you go out and serve the poor or work with CAP or hope you're going to the training on Monday night, when you do those things, when you, when you serve and, 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 and are care and get involved in the community and are good news to the community, then, that, that when, then the culture loves us. But the culture will not love us when it says, actually, there needs to be change. There needs to be this thing where you go in a different direction. You turn from the life you're living and live another life. That you turn from what you're worshipping and worship another God. And that does not draw... Affirmation. Lastly, racing, time's going. Fourth one, the culture, culture despises those 
who preach the gospel. When Paul became a Christian, he's told by Ananias that he would have to suffer to bring the gospel to the nations. This is his famous summary of the stuff he faced. He says, in far more labours, in far more imprisonments, beaten without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, and night and day I was spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, in danger from robbers, in danger from my countrymen, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger in the sea, in danger amongst the false brethren. You think, Paul, all that pressure and danger and whipping and being stoned and in danger wherever you go, surely you'd think, I've had enough. Just going to go back to my nice tent-making business and get my feet up, just get a nice sofa, watch Sky Sports, and we're all good. Oh, Lord, help me. But he says to the Romans, oh, no, 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 I want to come to you. I'm eager to preach the gospel to you. What, do you know what happened to Paul when he, when he got to Rome? He did preach the gospel. He was there for a while, but then what happened? He was killed for his faith. He didn't back off. He didn't back off from saying the truth here. Jesus was the same. Paul, in fact, is an imitator of Jesus, not the other way around. Jesus, it says, was despised and rejected of men. He was on the cross and they shouted out, He saved others, he cannot save himself. They mocked his message. You are going to build the, destroy the temple and build it three days? Come down from the cross, if you're the Son of God. And they spat at him. The thief on one side said, Yeah. You, you know, what are you? Are you God? And the other one says, no. In the midst of that fragrance of death, there's a smell of life. No, today you'll be with me in paradise. Jesus, it says in Hebrews 2, says, Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame. So, you know, there's a song, isn't there, that says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel that some of us used to sing many years ago by Martin Smith. From delirious, now, now going on his own. God's great dance floor, waiting here for you. Whatever. Anyway, Martin Smith, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And you sing it, don't you? Go to, go to the kind of youth concert, New Day, or whatever it's called. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And then next day you're at work and it's like, what did you do over the, week, over the summer? Mm, yeah, it was all right. You know, we can do it and we, we back off. So let me quickly now give you three reasons why we should be unashamed. I may not get this finished. It might become two sermons, but I really don't want it to be. Oh, danger. Okay, so first one, the gospel is life-changing. Paul says, I'm bound to both Jews and Greeks, to the wise and foolish. It's almost as if, as if I, have I, I haven't got my wallet, actually. I might do this. This is off the, I shouldn't do this. Should I? I'm going to give somebody money if I have money. If my kids have not taken my money, I'm going to give somebody money. Who'd like ten pounds? Who'd like? I don't give it to you, Andy. Who'd like ten pounds? Johnny, I'll have it. There you go. So, but Johnny, I want you to give it to somebody who's poor, and don't play that I'm a poor student. <laughs> I want you to give it to somebody who's poor. You live in Gloucester, right? So I don't know whether you'll see somebody, but in the next week or two, I'd like you to keep that. Ten pounds in your pocket and give it to somebody. You can give it to somebody begging. I don't normally give to people begging because there's a whole lot of reasons. Or you can give it to charity or can give it to somewhere where it's going to do some good. Yeah? Now, all the time in his wallet, he's got that ten and he's thinking, I've got ten. 
I've got 10. No, no, but I'm not allowed to spend it on myself. I've got to give it away. I've got to give it away. It's got to be good news. This tenor is, I'm giving this tenor because I've got to give it away. And that's what Paul's saying. He says, I'm a debtor. I've been given this amazing message, not 10 pounds, but millions of pounds, this amazing, life-changing gold dust of a message. But I've got to give it away. I've got it. It's almost like it's burning a hole in my pocket. I've got to give this thing away. I've got to give this thing away. Imagine you're, who knows who Alexander Fleming is? Alexander Fleming? Anybody clever? David, yeah, slightly medical. Invented, invented, we'll go for discovered. Ooh, that was nice to do, that wasn't it? I didn't want to shame you, though. (laughs) Discovered penicillin. He Basically, he's in his lab, he's doing some work, he sees in this Petri dish this mould growing. He could have chucked it out, couldn't he? But actually, he's, hmm, this is interesting, tests it on some, some stuff, kills bacteria. The world has changed. Imagine that he'd thought, he'd got that, he'd got that uh, discovery. There he is, looking very um, English. <laughs> With what looks like a fried egg. <laughs> but there it is, the mould that changed the world. But he's got this mould that changed the world, and he says, we've got to do something about it. The amazing thing is that that mould saved thousands and thousands of lives in the Second World War. That mould continues to save lives. That mould, uh, David, as a good dentist will know, that mould can stop you getting infection. That mould can change you. We just take antibiotics all the time. Now, you've got to be careful, because obviously it's fighting back. The bacteria are fighting back, aren't they? And we're worried what's going to happen. But this mould, he, imagine he kept it to himself. You think, how terrible. You've got this life-changing, world-saving piece of mould. Mould? Ugh, who likes mould? Yeah? But that's what we've got. We've got this mouldy old message, if you bear with the metaphor, of Jesus Christ changing the world. And it doesn't look very much. But you inject it into a person who's dying of sin and... Yeah, that is why we've got it. We've got this gift from, from God. So Paul says to me, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. It's got this weight of responsibility. Second one, because the gospel is good news and it's the only way. Uh, let me just tell you a little history lesson. I'll, I'll try and cut it down. But basically, the, 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 this section of Romans, there was a guy called Martin Luther. Not Martin Luther King, the brilliant civil rights guy from the 1960s in the States. But Martin Luther, the original rather sad-looking German monk. He's reading the gospel. He's in a situation where you you had to earn the the way to heaven. You had to kind of pay money called indulgences to the the Pope. You had to kind of say things. You had to touch, not the Bible, but you had to touch, here's a piece of the cross and here's a bit of water from the River Jordan where Jesus was baptised or whatever. And they're doing all this, and he's in this kind of culture, and he's feeling all the time, this isn't working for me. I just feel terrible. I just feel guilt and shame all the time. And he reads Romans, and it says, for in the gospel a righteousness from God is revealed. And he reads that and thinks, that is terrible, because I'm terrible. He's in a different culture to us. I'm, I'm a terrible sinner, and God's the holy one. And if his holiness comes to me, I'm going to be destroyed. And he used to say, he wrote, I used to hate Romans 1.17. In the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. And he's like, whoa. And it says, the righteous anger of God is being revealed against all wickedness. And he thinks, I'm going to burn. I'm in this terrible situation. But he reads it on and he suddenly realizes 
The righteousness from God is Jesus. It's his righteousness that's given to me as a free gift. And suddenly he loves the passage. He loves it. I'm being given the righteousness I couldn't get by doing all these rituals and doing all these things and trying to perform and try my best. The righteousness I couldn't get, I get from God just as a free gift. Wow. So staggering was this revelation to him that it changed, it changed the world. He, he, he was asked by the, the, the Catholics. This, I'm not, this is not an anti-Catholic sermon. This is a little history. But he was asked by the... Um, uh, the Catholics uh, to the people at the time, I think we had it next to his picture. Can you put it back up, that picture of Luther? He was asked, will you not talk about this? It's turning the world upside down. And he said, I think it's slight tweak of what a longer quote, but he says, here I stand, I can do no other. I'm not ashamed. I found this truth that changes the world. I'm not ashamed of it. It changed the whole of Europe. His revelation of God changed the whole of Europe. The the, the culture didn't love him. He had to hide away in a castle of a a, a, a German prince because they were going to kill him for the message. But he said, I cannot keep it in. It's a bit like Jeremiah says, I've got this message inside my bones and I can't keep it in. Lastly, reasons why we should not be ashamed of the gospel. The gospel is the power of God. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God to salvation for all who believe. And he, then he goes on and uh, he, he says, I expect to come and have a harvest amongst you. Changing his metaphor, but he's, he's saying, I expect it to change people's lives. This is how he talks about here. He's preaching about Jesus. He says, My message was not with persuasive words, but a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Now, I believe in healing. I believe that God can speak. I believe in miracles. But actually, I believe that actually he's not talking about that. He's talking about this good news of Jesus has got incredible power. So I've been visiting someone in hospital and I've been praying. I'm not telling you this so you think, oh, what a nice guy visiting people in hospital and praying. But I've been visiting someone in hospital and praying and I've been coming away and saying, God, Surely your gospel, this person's a Christian, surely your gospel can set this person free. And I'm saying, God, your gospel must set this person free. The truth of Jesus must set this person free. Surely we're not just relying on psychiatrists and drugs and help. Surely the gospel can set him free. I'm with this guy on on Tuesday and he was like in his room and it was like sad and depressed and it was like, oh. And then on, on Thursday I go see him and it's like, whoa! Something's happened. Paul Hunt from the church is away at the moment. He went to see him and said, they just chatted and this guy looks different, like life has come. And I think that's because the gospel has got power to do stuff that we can't do. When we're thinking, God, I cannot change This pattern of behaviour, this sin, this way of thinking, this sense of feeling useless, this horrible identity, my powerlessness, my emptiness, all those things are listed. The answer is the gospel can change all that. We don't have to just be the same. We're not just believed a nice idea. But there's this power, there's this yeast, this injection of Jesus' life in us that can change us. It's the power of God for salvation for those who believe. So let me just finish with this then. So what are we like with the gospel? 
What are we like with this truth of Jesus? I believe that what, if you take the vital sign of this church, there's lots of areas where heartbeat, the, the, the heartbeat of this church, we're, we're good on community. We're not too bad on discipleship. We're not, we're not even, we, we're really quite good on knowing Jesus. But if you take the heartbeat and pulse of this church when it comes to saying people becoming Christians, I'm in danger. We're in danger of flatlining. Guys, we have to live differently. We can talk all, all we want about missional communities, but the bottom line is, why is this church here? Because the gospel's here to change the world. It's here to change me. God, I need it. It's here to change you. It's here to change the world. Let's not be ashamed of it. Now, we don't want to be a crazy, mad, Bible-bashing person that preaches in the middle of town and makes everyone think Christians are nut jobs. But we're going to go with a message that actually means people are going to say, shut up. Some of us are even scared to invite our friends to the quiz. It's a church quiz. You know, we've, invite, we've had alpha courses. We've had, tried to invite people. Not many people have come. We're scared to invite. We say, do we not know anyone? No, it's because we're all a little ashamed. And I want to encourage us. Put that quote up from me. Bang it home, hopefully. The gospel's power is not some pithy saying, some half-baked idea that may influence your life like the latest diet fad. No, it's dead-raising, new life-creating, eternity-making, glorifying power for the worst of us. There's nobody beyond its reach. Let's hear an amen. There's no social or economic or ethnic group which God cannot call to himself. No suburb or city or nation that cannot be transformed by its power. The question is, do we believe it? It's a fight to believe it. But we say we've got to, we've got to believe it. So we're going to break bread now. But guys, why don't you come on back? So why do we break bread each week? Well, it's kind of a bit offensive. People have said to me, why do you mention break bread every week? Jesus Christ, his body broken on the cross, torn apart, shredded. Why do we break bread? Why do we th- say Jesus' blood poured out, shed for us? Why do we drink it down in these little kind of cups so people don't get diseases? <laughs> The Anglicans are much better. They have a big thing. But anyway, we're non-conformists, so we have these little things. Why do we do this every week? Because actually, if you're not a Christian here, it's probably quite offensive. You probably think, I don't, what, I don't want know what to do. Uh, if I come out here and take a bit of bread and wine, maybe no one will embarrass me. But actually, we take it because actually out there in the world, we're embarrassed. We're embarrassed. In here, maybe if you're not a Christian, you might be embarrassed. You might be annoyed by what I've said. You might be frustrated by the the length of time I've gone on. You might have all sorts of frustrations. But actually, out there, it's us that are embarrassed. It's out there that we feel on the back foot. We feel quiet. We feel we don't know what to do. So we take this each week, and what we're saying is we're taking in the very mold, the very yeast of the gospel. We're going to take this into ourselves, and we're going to drink the life of the Savior who faced the death on the cross because we want to go out, whoa, let's do it, empowered by the gospel. It's not them, is it? Do you know what I'm saying? Now, if you want to be empowered by the gospel, or you're a Christian, you come and take this, but take it saying, God, let your power of your gospel be at work in me, so that when we go out, we're changed, 
and we live radically and we believe that Cheltenham can be different. Secularization can be turned back. And the nation can come back to Jesus. And your friend who's in trouble and his marriage is breaking down can see life come. Yes? Thank you, Paul. So we're going to do this and we're going to say, God, pour your life on us. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because in the cross a righteousness from Jesus is revealed. But by faith on first to last, we're going to drink it in. We're going to take it. I'm going to say, God, power us up. Amen? Are you good for that? For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.